This episode of She-Ra Progressive of Power is brought to you by the House Theater of Chicago, now presenting Pinocchio, a tall tale about telling the truth, a classic fairy tale of a wooden boy who wishes to become real, running through May 19th at the Chopin Theater in Wicker Park. The House Theater has been proudly producing original plays and immersive events for 18 years. This season, the House recognizes the contributions of Lee Dixon. You can learn more and buy tickets at www.thehousetheater.com. Now, I would like to say on a personal note, not only is Lee Dixon a member of the board of the House Theater of Chicago, which does do fantastic work, but she is also a lovely person who got me my current apartment. So I love Lee. I love the house. Please do support them. Go see Pinocchio. The puppetry in it is incredible. And uh, thank you for listening. It's the day after Easter, which is a holiday I really like. Even though I am an atheist, I do love bunnies and candy. And I went to a birthday party yesterday. Was it Jesus's birthday? Easter is not Jesus's birthday. I, I, I know that even though I am not a believer. I mean, people can celebrate their birthdays whenever they want to. I guess. Especially Jesus. If Jesus was like, the weather is better this time of year, I'd rather do it now. I guess I wouldn't hold it against him. Yeah, plus being born on Christmas sucks because he only gets one set of presents. <laughs> I did an entire, uh, I was in a play about that a couple years ago. The, it was a sci-fi play and the villain was literally Jesus who was upset that he only got one present on his <laughs> birthday. I feel like I also just did like a really hacky stand-up bit without knowing it. Oh, boy. Anyway. Anyway, uh, what I was going to say is there was a pinata, and I am not sure I ever got to break open a pinata before, but especially not as an adult. And there were carabiners in there and D&D dice and other really useful things. Eric, what would be something really sweet that could come out of a pinata that would really make your day? Let's go on brand. How about those little, like, muscle action figures? Those little, like, rubbery men from the 80s? They make Masters <laughs> Universe muscle now. You fill a pinata with those, I'll play all day. <laughs> I'm, I don't think this is what you're talking about, but I'm imagining those little ones that you'd put in water, and they would, like, grow and grow. No, but they, they look kind of like that, but they don't grow. They just are already roided out. Is that an appropriate term? I don't <laughs> no, know. No, it's super not. Oh, they're already, um, they're already muscled out. <laughs> They've just gone to the gym a lot. They're very healthy men. Uh, my answer is really depressing, but I think it would just be like money if your friends just like put 20 bucks in a pinata because that could buy you a coffee or well, not 20 bucks, but like the three dollars that you grab could get you a, a value meal at McDonald's in the morning. Just throw your friends See, a couple dollars. This is the problem with millennials. Why don't they just go straight to putting avocado toast in there, Lauren? I need to buy my <laughs> avocado toast with the pinata money. <laughs> and this is why we'll never own homes. I was a teenage anarchist Looking for revolution Everybody, welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. It's our fourth season, but I keep thinking of it as our second season because we're talking about the second season of DreamWorks, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Once again, forever and ever, I am Eric. And I am Lauren. We missed all you lovely humans out there. Uh, it's been like two months and that, that makes me sad. I really like working on this podcast. Yes, I have missed hanging out in the studio talking trash about politics and I really miss our friends at DreamWorks who used to call us on the phone. I feel like we were best friends and they haven't, they haven't, you know, called in a while. I know, DreamWorks, why don't you call? Lauren and I wait by the studio <laughs> phone every day at 5.30 just in case. Those are lies. We actually have been in touch with DreamWorks very recently, which we'll probably get to later in the episode. 
So let's let's talk about. So what does this season look like? Uh, we might get into tooting our own horn just a little bit, but as Lauren said to me when we were planning the show, we kind of proved our thesis by having the showrunner for She-Ra come on and talk about the gay agenda. Yeah, Eric uh, pointed out to me today that our podcast is actually cited on the uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power Wikipedia page because our show was where Noelle Stevenson was super awesome and super open about the LGBTQ themes of She-Ra. We really, really appreciate that we got to have that conversation. And so it feels like at this point it's just a given that the things we're talking about are real and there and... We've had the people who work on the show uh, confirm it. So we're going to – we're not going to stop, obviously. But I entertained the idea of stopping. I was like, Eric, we made our point. What if we just don't do this anymore? Oh, man. Can't stop, won't stop. Right. Heck I, no. I missed my Twitter, my Twitter friends too much. <laughs> so, But what we are going to do is um, get back to a little bit of what this show was like in the earlier days. So Lauren and I are going to talk about politics a little bit more. We're going to kind of inject our personalities into the episodes a little bit more – um, cause I think you all like us and if you don't, then we'll see that in our in listeners stats. And we'll bring on people that you'll like RIP. better though. That's, that's fair. That's true. We're not abandoning DreamWorks all the same. Uh, we figured the only person who could follow Noel Stevenson was nobody. So this is a guestless episode for the first time in a long time. Yes. And speaking of episodes, there are only seven in the new season of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. And we wanted to do more than seven podcast episodes for y'all. So we're going to have some special sort of strange uh, formats coming up for you, partially because we wanted to make more content and partially because we already made our point and now we don't care. So we're going to get weird. Yeah, uh, we don't want to spoil anything too hard, but um, there's definitely some very cool fun things we're gonna do some tributes to people we're gonna have some lunches uh it's gonna be fun i don't want to say any more than that right now uh so before we get to the episode we're discussing today which is the premiere of princesses of power season two which is called the frozen forest uh there's some other things we want to catch up on real quick some things that maybe some fans wrote into us about or just in general, like what's going on with the world. So I'll start with the light stuff first, probably, right? Yeah, this is kind of a mailbag episode, but just uh, just a couple of them. So first things first, it's very flattering that people care what we think about things. This is this is very, uh, very nice. So uh, a listener named Madeline Schlarman posted on our Facebook page that she'd really like Lauren and I to weigh in on the movie Captain Marvel, uh, which came out during our break. And having seen Captain Marvel, I absolutely understand why. Now, Lauren, unfortunately, your life did not allow you to see this movie, correct? Uh, Correct. I am working. I am also in grad school. And when we got this request, all of my extra, extra free time was going to Star Wars Celebration. So as much as I wanted to, I did not see Captain Marvel. I haven't seen any movies at the theater in probably... Probably since, since we went. Since we saw Spider-Verse, yeah. Yeah, since Spider-Verse. And so Eric's going to have to take this one. Hopefully that is sufficient. I will gladly take it. And I, Madeline, I really appreciate you posting this because I was being lazy and not going to see it. And I love Marvel movies. And so I went and saw Captain Marvel by my lonesome on a Sunday morning because Lauren couldn't go. Um, and Make it, me feel more guilty. No, I actually like going to see movies alone, <laughs> just not on like busy times. Anyway... Um, I loved it. I thought Captain Marvel. So I have a ranking of all the Marvel movies. I've seen them all but Iron Man 3. And I love the franchise. And Captain Marvel is very high. I think it's like 6 out of 20 for me. Um, I think that it is such 
first of all, my favorite Marvel movies are the ones that um, kind of channel a different genre or do something a little different than just a straightforward superhero movie, which is why Winter Soldier is forever my favorite. And I really like the second act of Captain Marvel, which feels a lot like a 90s buddy cop flick, except with Brie Larson and Sam Jackson as these characters in a very, like, super world. So I loved that. I think Brie Larson in general is fantastic. Uh, side note, every time I hear a song by the band Metric, I picture her singing it because of Scott Pilgrim. My favorite movie! Oh, it's so good. Um, Chris Evans also in Scott Pilgrim. Lots of the Avengers are there. But... Specifically to the point of this podcast, I totally understand why you wanted us to see Captain Marvel because the movie adaptation of her origin is very close to original Adora's story. Um, she is a uh, not not really anyone special. She's a an Air Force member for um, the U.S. government and gets caught up in this like cosmic battle and ends up being taken in by the Kree who brainwash her and make her think that she's a Kree soldier. And then she basically extends their imperial agenda across the galaxy until the Skrulls, who, spoiler alert, in this movie are good guys, kind of wake her up to the horror. And she realizes that, like, the last X years of her life have been a lie and she's been serving the wrong people. And then she channels this power to do good. It is very much an Adora story. And I didn't even notice that when I was watching the movie because I was so caught up in it. But later, uh, talking about it, I totally hip to that. And it's cool. I, I don't know. Like, it is – I liked it. I like that twist on her story. I like Brie doing it. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens with her in Endgame. Having not seen it, I'm still going to comment on some of the internet discussion around the film because uh, in the trailer, a lot of – uh, angry fanboys, which is also a theme common to Shira, a bunch of angry men accused her of not smiling enough and like not being a vibrant and positive enough actress as Captain Marvel, which is totally stupid because you'd never ask a man to do that. And then apparently in the film, you can correct this if I'm wrong, but she there is actually a scene about her asking to her being asked to smile more. Yeah. And then she did. Brie Larson did an interview in which she was asked, was that added? Like, was that added as a direct response to the fan feedback? And she basically said, no, that's such a common female experience. Basically, every woman has had that happen to them. It was already in the film because it's part of society. And the fact that that had to be said is very depressing to me. But I'm also super stoked that she got to shed some light on what most of... Uh, my gender experiences all the time. Yeah, I should kind of say it, it It bums me out that, like, uh, I as a man am weighing in on this and Lauren can't uh, because I don't get to, you know, I don't have the insight to view it from uh, a female perspective. But just as, an, as a Marvel movie, as an action movie, as a sci-fi movie, I think it's a huge success. I'm so excited to see her in Endgame, which by the time you're listening to this, you might have seen. Uh, I'm going to be an emotional wreck for that movie. I know because when I watch the trailers and I see Steve forlorn about losing half the world's population because of the snap, I get misty. And so I know this movie is going to wreck me. Um, but yeah, Captain Marvel, super good. Any fans of She-Ra, I'm sorry I spoiled it if you haven't seen it, but you should see it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, speaking of the valuable male perspective is, um, well, and fan feedback, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. One of our listeners reached out to me 
uh, her name is Zena. I'm going to butcher this last name. I'm so sorry. Achilleos. Um, I think that that's got to be close. She is. I thank you. I think so too. She's doing a, a thesis on um, girl-led animation, and she um, asked to talk to me to kind of get a, a male perspective on um, whether Shira changed my idea of like gender norms and roles um, since I watched it from such a young age, which is very very cool. Uh, I do have a history of writing nerd academic papers myself. I am, this is true, the only peer-reviewed author um, on the subject of Transformers the movie, 1986. So I am very happy. <laughs> then what to... peers are reviewing you if there are none? <laughs> oh, well, it was in a book of pre-MCU Marvel movies. So it was people who wrote about stuff like Howard the Duck or uh. um, what a Blade, X-Men, Spider-Man, etc. Um, anyway... So I'm very happy to continue to contribute to Nerd Academia, and it's it's very nice to be asked. And I mean, I'm just I'm really happy that men get to have their say. About, at last, yeah. at last, a white man's opinion on cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> let me just say this about that. Okay, I'm done. Is this my life? Driving over here, uh, I heard on NPR the kind of story of the hour politically, which is that Ukraine has, in a landslide vote, elected a president who is a comedian, a comedian who, in fact, played the Ukrainian president on TV. And on one hand, I'm super stoked that Ukraine continues to have a peaceful democratic process with uh, easy and respectful transfer of power, I'm not super stoked at the continuing world trend of television stars as presidents, because it's not, in my opinion, going super well over here. I do wish them the best, though. I, I sure do hope it works out. It's just this fascinating Ouroboros of life imitates art imitates life. You know, we have a reality TV star president. The next logical step is a man who played the president as, like, Alec Baldwin might as well run. And, oh, wait, no, I take that back. I, I'm going to put ideas out into the universe that <laughs> I regret. Don't do it. Um, and I, I guess I want to put a little asterisk. Like, I think there are probably celebrities who could be president. I'm not going to be the person who's like, you have to have political experience to be in politics. I think that's crap. I think we need more, you know, uh, bartenders and librarians and teachers and laborers as politicians because they would represent a much wider swath of America. However, the NPR story at least framed it like this guy never really took solid stances on anything. His his campaign was basically, I'm not the incumbent and therefore you should vote for me. And that apparently did it. And that's that's more what I'm not chill with. <laughs> well, also, why start with president? You know, like maybe do something else. I also hate this idea that like, oh, like celebrities shouldn't weigh in with their political opinions because, again, reality TV star for a president. But like, I don't know if, if that is the office I want celebrities to jump to. Like Tom Morello was like uh, an intern in a mayor's office in California for a summer. That's nice. Like that's a good way to get into politics. I like Tom Morello. 
Yeah, well, and I want to emphasize that lower offices are also important and are doing great works. You know, if you're an alderman in Chicago, you can make a huge deal of difference for your neighborhood and your constituents. And we need, you know, progressive people at those levels as well. We can't just show up every four years and hope the person at the top is progressive. They all have to be. You might also be hella corrupt if you're an alderman in Chicago. I mean, you might be hella corrupt if you're anything in Chicago. If you're a podcast host in Chicago. Shh. No. Uh, that, <laughs> that is another... Let me say, though, if any of our listeners out there are involved in politics, it would be really sweet to talk to you. Uh, we'd love to have a political guest on the show. So hit us up. You know, well, maybe you don't know how. Progressiveofpower at gmail.com or uh, what's your Twitter, Lauren? My Twitter is at Lauren Fates, which is spelled L-A-U-R-E-N-F-A-I-T-S. And you could just talk to me about whatever. Even and here, here's my rule. I think this is a good rule. Um, you can disagree with the rule. Any <laughs> any part, any anywhere you fall on the political spectrum is acceptable, except for MAGA. I would talk to a conservative, but no MAGA. They have to be a no Trump. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't. I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna put that that flag down. I I can feel in my gut that I think I'd have a terrible time talking to a MAGA person, and I doubt they'd want to be on our show, so it's probably a non-issue. Wait, that's that's the you You would go the other way? You would take a MAGA person on the show? I Ma- think I might. Wow. Oh, man. I wouldn't be nice to them. Okay, I expected you to take the opposite tactic no, and say I wouldn't, I, no conservatives, period. I think, I think I would take a MAGA person, but... Because you got to follow the fear, as they say. Like, I think it would be horrible, and therefore I would try it. I just reserve the right to be kind of a dick to them. That's all. I, also, there's no way that any of those people are listening to right, the show. Right, Like, so. you, you would have to, like, be one of our listeners and be like, let me get my uncle on the phone or something. <laughs> my uncle, who's the mayor of some town in Arkansas. <laughs> I guess we would. I guess we would. We'll talk. We'll figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> it's a non-issue. They're not going to call. They're not. Just like DreamWorks. They're not going to call. DreamWorks calls us. That was a lie. <laughs> uh, so, I, okay. Bringing it back to the topic du jour, um, which character from She-Ra, because obviously they're all real, if one of the She-Ra characters ran for president, who would you like it to be? I think Bo. Um, I mean, that's just me shooting from the hip. I bet I'd come up with a different answer if I thought about it more. But as we'll discuss later, uh, Bo's sort of emotional intelligence, especially just displayed in this episode, I think I think he'd be a really empathetic and kind president. He might he might be a little too like uh, there might be like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation. I feel like he'd want to get a lot of people's approval and a lot of people's opinions so everyone could be happy. But I'm super here for someone who just has that good of intentions for other people. See, that's a great answer. My gut said Glimmer uh, because she's kind of used to leading even though she's not. Like, she's at least in that position. But I think Bo is a better answer. So, Well, it's <laughs> political work. experience versus political inexperience, which I guess is the topic here. So today we are talking about the premiere of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power Season 2, 
The episode is called The Frozen Forest. So I suppose we should do a recap in true progressive of power fashion. So The Frozen Forest opens pretty quickly after the battle for Bright Moon. And basically all of our camps of characters are training. Uh, in the princess's case, trying to uh, get swole and fend off the horde robots that keep coming wave after wave. Because even though they won a battle, the onslaught hasn't stopped. The horde people are training to um, figure out how to take down princesses. And She-Ra is training to improve her skills with Light Hope, which leads to a really great uh, sequence of her trying to turn her sword into things and none of the things being particularly useful in battle. So the princesses are basically working together as a superhero team at this point. And as I said, the Horde keeps sending waves of robots because Catra's plan is that eventually the robots will wear them down and they she thinks they have endless resources. And the, meanwhile, the woods is withering because this endless onslaught means the princesses don't really have time to tend to their garden metaphorically and, and literally. So the woods are kind of wilting away. So Catra feels pretty confident that she's going to wear them down. Entrapta has developed a new type of horde robot called Emily's Kid Sister, or EKS, which uses First One's tech to auto-regenerate. Even though she can only build four, they're like super scary sentinel versions of the horde robots, and they go attack our princesses. Um, there's a lot of character development with Frosta in this episode, as she's finally integrated into the Princess Alliance. Eventually, our heroes kind of come out on top. Bo, who's trying to be like the tech guy for the rebellion, manages to get a hold of one of the um, Emily's kid sister like motherboards. And at the end of the episode, he realizes that only Entrapta could have put it together. So she must still be alive. Yeah, to jump completely to the end, I found that moment very stirring because Glimmer and She-Ra and company are in another room saying how no princess is left behind. Ha ha ha. And that is exactly when Bo realizes that that was the very thing that they had done. And using the same verbiage, too, we left her behind, I think, is what he says. Yep. But also, I love that scene because um, Bo is analyzing the uh, EKS like Entrapta would. He has a little handheld recorder, and he even says, I'm talking into this recorder because it's what I've seen the best scientist I ever know do. Like, he doesn't even know why he's doing it. He just wants to be like Entrapta. It's so sweet. So you used the word training at the beginning, and that's partially true, especially for Adora. But I don't, I would, I don't know if I'd necessarily frame what's going on in the Whispering Woods as training, just because they're easily overcoming the enemy. Those are still very real attacks, and it really tugged at my heartstrings because the person sending those robots is literally Entrapta, and Entrapta and Scorpia and Catra. They kind of adorably sit on a couch like it's Mystery Science Theater or something and watch what the robots do and how they perform. They're very friendly. They're buddies. They're hanging out, at least in Entrapta's mind they are. But they're watching Entrapta cause harm to her former or even, by some measures, current friends. That's so hard to watch. Yeah, that's true. I guess they're not really training, but I I'm glad you... Uh are talking about that because I feel like the biggest theme of this episode, which is kind of an extension of season one, is community. Kind of Perfuma puts it in a very eye-rolly way, but she's right. Like, the problem is that the princesses don't really work in harmony at the top of the episode. And so they're kind of learning to be in community, work in tandem with each other. And meanwhile, um, our big pivot point from last season in Trapta is finding this community within the Horde, even though, like you said, maybe 
it's not as reciprocal as she feels that it is. Yeah, I like your point about harmony. We see a lack of harmony in a couple of key places. There is, as you mentioned, Frosta. Um, Frosta sort of annoys Glimmer because Glimmer is still kind of a rookie leader, but she's really trying to stretch her wings and prove herself. And Frosta is somewhat difficult to lead. She's being underestimated. She's more powerful than the, the role she's been given. They tell Frosta, you know, stay back at the castle and guard it as if she's not maybe the most powerful princess there is. It causes a lot of conflict. But that's even happening in the generation above. We see Castaspella show up and get an earful from Angela because Castaspella was nowhere to be found during the battle for Bright Moon. Uh, there's not perfect unity on the good side. Yeah, and that that's a really smart point, and it reveals itself in even kind of surprising ways, like during the first war council, um, Mermista sits in Perfuma's chair, and Perfuma says, hey, that's my chair, and Mermista kind of snottily replies, don't you find it helpful to shift perspective sometimes? Mermista is like... just, yeah, like actively aggressive. <laughs> There's a line... From between the two of them later where Perfuma says, we've been looking everywhere for you. And Mermista's line delivery is like, yeah, everywhere. As if maybe she wasn't actually putting in the effort she could have put in. Yeah. It was, it was rude. You're right to call out the Frosta thing, too. I feel like that's the big thrust of this episode is it's kind of her um, introductory episode since we didn't really get to see her be uh, – grapple with this princess question in the way the others did last season. So now that she's part of the alliance, she has to figure out how to be this like 11-year-old girl who fights. And you're right, she's super powerful, but she doesn't quite have the interpersonal dynamics worked out yet, which causes Glimmer especially a lot of chagrin. No, well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that she was essentially the acting queen of a massive kingdom. She's used to everyone listening to her. I don't think she's been under anyone else's command really at all. She does have the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze yes. lines on lock though. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. Allow me to break the ice. You are not sending me to the cooler. Freeze well. What killed the dinosaurs? Doesn't she literally say to Glimmer, like, it's hard to have friends when everyone's your subject or something? Yeah, she said she never had friends before, which is not something I thought of. And so I'm glad they put it in the show. Yeah, absolutely. But it feels like that's pretty nicely wrapped up by the end of the episode. I think Glimmer learns a little something about being a leader. Frosta learns about kind of giving people their space, maybe, or like understanding some amount of boundaries. And in a in a power sense, it's very cool to see the princesses all work together like they're like the X-Men or something. Like especially the combo of Mermista watering something and then Frosta freezing it. It's so cool. There were a couple of combos that I really loved. The action animation in general in this episode was so great. I'm thinking of um, a time when Perfuma sort of tied down one of the robots and then Mermista filled it up with water and sort of exploded it from the inside. The, the the action sequences were so great, especially when in the 80s version, we were lucky to get that, you know, one spin kick animation from Jira. To your point about them working together, though, they literally glow their respective colors when they sort of do that X-Men thing and are united. And that is what causes the Whispering Woods to flourish. It's not 
any sort of like watering or tending they had to do. They just had to be a strong team. Yeah, it's one of those cases of the show making uh, the symbolic literal, which I think is cool because it is a fantasy show for like, you know, younger audiences. And I like that uh, it feels like a very like magical girl kind of solution to the problem is like we found harmony within ourselves and the woods reflects that. Speaking of action sequences, I did find the opening training with Catra quite violent, uh, both physically and also emotionally. The idea that, you know, even though it was a simulation by Lighthope, that Catra would just come in and savagely attack her friend. The simulation got me. I didn't realize we were watching a a fake sequence, and I really thought that's what Catcher was up to. I was pretty troubled. I suspected that we were, but that was really sharp directing uh, of the episode because they didn't show the same characters in frame, but the setting was so close that you're like, you just, yeah, your brain assumes they're in the same place. Um, I loved the sword transformations during that sequence. It feels like it's having fun with how ridiculous that was in the old show. Like, she literally turns it into a rope, which is one of the dumb things 80s She-Ra could do, and she yells, why won't you be what I want you to be? So, two points about that. First, yes, hilarious. Can we get that mug manufactured and sold to our podcast, I Will Buy 10? Thank you. Second, my favorite line of the episode was when uh, She-Ra turns the the sword into a pitcher. Uh, it's, it's why Bo should be president. <laughs> it's why he's qualified to be president, because he goes, wow, how, that's so useful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just finding the, finding the good in the situation. But I had a question about the rope scene. Um, I think you're right. I think in the end it is just a joke. But when she says, why won't you be what I want you to be? And then she very effectively uses that rope and sort of smirks to herself. Do you think the sword is not giving her what she wants, but is giving her what she needs? I think in that moment it is. And I think it's meant to represent that she's learning a little more about how to master her skills as a warrior. I don't know that like the cup and the pitcher are necessarily. No, no. You know, but I think. Well, and also you've watched the whole season already and you know better. And I've only seen the one. So, you know, if I'm speculating correctly or not. Oh, I'll try not to spoil anything. This is weird. Last last season when we did this, we had the same amount of knowledge, and now I have more knowledge. I think by next week I'll have caught up. You have the power. <laughs> I have the free time now that Star Wars Celebration <laughs> is done. Speaking of uh, the comedy, I think it's such an interesting and fun choice to make Light Hope the uh, the comic relief in in this episode. Uh, she had a couple killer lines, like when Adora's like, Catra really pushes my buttons, and she says, I can relate. I also have buttons. I, I laughed out loud. They're, they're making her like experiment with empathy, even though she literally lacks it, and it's it's so clever. Yeah. Or like, uh, oh, no pressure, right? Oh, there is quite a bit of pressure. <laughs> I thought that was clear. <laughs> I don't know why this is, and I'm sorry that it's a weird reference. Do you listen to The Adventure Zone? No. No. Okay. I love The Adventure Zone. I'm going to see them when they come uh, to Chicago in November. I'm dressing up as Taco. So those of you at home, get excited. But anyway, the new uh, Adventure Zone arc, Amnesty, has a alien projection woman named Minerva. And because it's got that same, like projection uh blue like all-knowing sort of guide lady vibe 
those are the same character to me now. When I listen to The Adventure Zone, Minerva is Light Hope. And when I see Light Hope, uh, they're the same. I don't know if anyone else has made that connection, but I'd be excited to hear from you if that's your headcanon as well. I know some of those people out there listen to Adventure Zone. Oh, we have to shout out two things. One I already hinted at, and it's the fact that they allow Bo to shed tears when he's disappointed in himself. He has a moment where he doesn't feel like he's lived up to the expectations of being the tech replacement for Entrapta and being the team's tech master, and he cries. And I was so moved, both because I really did feel for him. It really elevated that the stakes of that moment. But also, thank goodness a children's show is letting a male character cry. Here, here. We also have uh, Adora going, hey, Katra. I don't know how I feel about it. Made me, made, me, made me shudder, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. I bet Tumblr people loved it. I, I had to guess. I bet, like, Tumblr... Well, I, I don't think the youths are on Tumblr as much anymore now that Tumblr went full censorship on Oh, that's it. true. What are, what do they use? In, Instagram? A lot of them went back to Twitter. Tw- oh Twitter got reawakened because of the Tumblr censorship. I'm old, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> what do the youths use now? Where are you, kids? Polaroids? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Shadow Weaver was in this episode. For heaven's sake, our favorite character... Is she still your favorite character, or is someone new your favorite in this season? In this, wh- are you asking me to use the knowledge of the whole season? Well, I guess let's let's not use the word season. Let's say in the Shira yeah. reboot. In this iteration, it's very close to being Bo, but I still think I I don't want this. I don't think this is a spoiler, but nothing I have seen so far. Like, throughout everything I've seen, Shadow Weaver feels like basically the same character that I loved in the 80s. And I think she's, like, the only character you could port pretty directly and still make her, like, cool. And I love that. And so I think she's still my favorite. Yeah, what I enjoyed about her presence in this episode is another major theme of this episode at large, which is the people closest to you know how to push your buttons the most. Uh, that That's where Hey Catra comes from. That's where Castaspella and Angela sort of sniping at each other comes from. Perfuma and Mermista. Yeah, the people, I don't even want to say the people we love because no one loves Shadow Weaver. And if Shadow Weaver thinks she loves anyone, she's wrong. But anyone who knows you intimately gets this ability to just wreck you in, in, in deep and specific and special ways. It, it takes a lot of bravery, I think, to get close to people and to have friends like we see in this show because you're sort of granting other people the ability to do that by letting them in. And she abuses it. I think that's a really smart observation because, yeah, like the whole kind of thesis of this episode and maybe of this show is, uh, is, is that being with other people is hard. You know, forming a community that is in harmony takes a lot of work and you have to make yourself vulnerable, but there are dividends. And the Horde is just a whole group of people who never really made themselves vulnerable. Or maybe if the one time they did, it really, really hurt them. And so we have Katra showing up in Shadow Weaver's cell um, merely to gloat as totally like reversing their old dynamic. Well, yeah, and Shadow Weaver still tries to punch back, even though she's literally restrained to the ground. Uh, to bring it back to real-life politics, it's one of the many things that I really can't handle about our current president is that he just becomes 
so personally mocking toward people on a public forum. All of the just personally targeted tweets calling people losers and cowards and dogs. I feel like we have trusted a person with the highest office in the nation and, you know, by some metrics made him the most powerful person in the world. And we've, we've let Donald Trump in, in a way, into our personal lives, onto our television screens, and he uses it to be mean and cruel. And that's not what's supposed to happen when you open the door to someone else. But I think it's important to note that it can happen. And I like that this show is exploring that. I don't think the show is at all saying, like, be guarded. <laughs> oh, no. I think it just wants you to know, like, hey, people will take advantage of you, too. Yeah. Not everyone out there is good. Yeah. And choose wisely. You look terrible. Katra, it's been so long. I assumed Hordak finally realized what a lazy, worthless creature you are and banished you. Just the opposite. Hordak values me. I've been busy helping the Horde get closer than it's ever been to defeating the Rebellion. His words. If you're doing so well, why are you here? It's Adora, isn't it? <laughs> so? I let her win one. We're gaining ground and our armies are growing. When they're ready to roll out, I will be at the head and you'll be here, rotting. <sighs> Thanks. I needed this. All that said, I like this episode. It feels like a very, um, it feels like kind of a bookkeepy episode to me. And as much as like, it feels like the episode that had to be written to take us from Battle of Bright Moon to whatever the status quo of season two is going to be. And I don't, I don't mind that, but um, it felt like a part of that, you know, six episode arc at the end of last season. And I very much looking forward to princesses of power getting back to a little bit maybe more uh less of a serialized story in some respects or like episodic with serialized nature which i won't spoil anything but um that may or may not be coming down this you know kind of weird way i guess reminded me of season eight episode one of game of thrones game of thrones is back i have complicated feelings about being a fan of it due to its treatment of women but I do still call myself a fan, and the opening episode of the final season was very much like, here are the given circumstances. This is where the characters physically are. These are their relationships to one another. This is what they're concerned with moving forward. Yeah, it's bookkeepy or housekeepy. It's like a reminder of the situation before letting you go forward. And I think yeah. it was very effective at that. Yeah, you're right. The emotions, especially in that final scene, like the like I, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Entrapped last season, but I I think that the way her role is striking out in season two is is going to make me happier. Um, and I think the table is set for some really really cool stuff going forward. So. I don't know what you're going to hear next week, y'all. There's there's two paths that our season might take, and we won't really decide until Lauren sees the rest of the episodes. But So you might hear the first of our diversions, or you might hear us talking about episode two. I don't know yet. Well, in the first of our diversions, I won't tell you exactly what we're doing, but when you said you're not, you weren't always such a fan of Entrapta, I kind of smiled because I get to be Entrapta in our next adventure. That's right. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> Great. So I guess that about wraps it up, which is awesome because I tried to open some Pop-Tarts during the episode and they were very noisy. And so they've just been sitting here uneaten. 
Uh, so we're done, and I'm going to enjoy some Pop-Tarts. They are certainly my guilty pleasure to eat at like 8 o'clock at night, which it is right now. Wait, Lauren, before you eat those Pop-Tarts, rank your flavors of Pop-Tarts. Top top three, at least. Oh, goodness. I re- Okay, I really only eat like two flavors of Pop-Tarts, and the one in front of me is blueberry, and that's not on the list. I will, I will get down on a strawberry Pop-Tart. But a true connoisseur of Pop-Tarts knows to put the s'more Pop-Tarts in the freezer and eat them as a dessert. It changes the textural experience entirely. And if you take one thing from this episode to try at home, it's that. Freeze your s'mores or other chocolate-based Pop-Tarts. This episode is not sponsored by Pop-Tarts. Not yet. Listen to your heart. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show... You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>